Welcome to the Styano Plastic Surgery Podcast with plastic surgeon JJ Styano, the only plastic surgeon in the UK who owns a clinic specializing in breast and body contouring. Evening, live at five. Oh. Live at seven. Cables tangled up. Seven o'clock Facebook Live. This is happening and I am doing this. So if you have any questions about anything related to ask away or alternatively just listen away and get some nuggets because I can tell you right now there's going to be some nuggets tonight sure as eggs is eggs so this what is happening here is a live Q&A with JJ Stiano yours truly plastic surgeon extraordinaire so um, you might think what's he doing what's he typing I'll tell you what he's doing he's typing it so that it goes into Instagram because this guy is on Instagram he's on He's on YouTube. You heard it here. 25 of my followers are active right now. Okay, that's the sort of reach I've got. And I'm sure they'll all be coming here soon on the uh, on the Instagram. So Olivia's here already. Look at that, Olivia, straight in. Good on you, Olivia. Nice to see you here this evening. Um, and what we got, look at that. There we go, straight in. I told you there'd be people on Instagram. So, uh, yes. And it's interesting because I am a little bit behind. I'm trying to put um, a chunk up the questions on putting them on YouTube. So if you are, sorry, I'll get that thing off the screen. If you are on YouTube, um, or if you do look at YouTube, then please subscribe to my channel. That's what you're supposed to say, isn't it? Please subscribe to my channel. It's called the Styano Clinic. Um, and it's interesting because I've got to be honest, I'll tell you where I am. I'll tell you where I'm up to. I'll bring it down somewhere. Oh, I think I shredded it. Um, 12th of May, I think it is. So I'm doing the 12th of May uh, Facebook Lives, putting them on YouTube at the moment. Um, yes, I know I should get someone to help me. I need, um, that's, yeah, it's on my to-do list. Um, in fact, there it is. It's on the to-do list. Um, but it's interesting because it's beautiful sunshine outside, 12th of May. It was at 7 o'clock. But now, pitch black. Pitch black in the morning, pitch black at night. Hey ho, that's the seasons, I guess. That's what you get for uh, progressing through the year. So, um, what we got? Look at this. We got people saying stuff. Jackie saying hello. Hi, uh, you are talking about yourself in the third person, um, Olivia. That is what celebrities do. Okay. That that is uh, it's part of the training when you become a celebrity, uh, Olivia. You go on a course, and uh, that's one of the things they teach you. So um, Olivia's in Pafakaradini in Greece. Look at you talking about celebrities. Uh, Stuart, long time no see. Please don't roll your eyes. Please don't roll your eyes. Fourteen days post three sixty degree body lift with lipo. I've got a seroma. I'm applying heat to help it go. But any other tips? Um, why would I roll? How do I? I don't even know how to roll my eyes. How do I roll my eyes? Is it like huh, it's got a seroma? Um, no, Stuart. I've got to be honest with you, Stuart. Three sixty degree 
a body lift with lipo not unusual to be honest with you Stuart. it's a big deal i don't need to tell you that and um you know very high risk of something happening to the extent that to be honest with you i would normally tell people 360 degree body lift something's going to happen you're going to get some kind of complication or you know something it's such a big op um it's it's pretty much 100 percent. it's getting on for so yeah seroma is not not uh not unusual um any tips well how, what are we, where, where, how did we just say how long it was? 14 days. Um, Stuart, the advice always is talk to your surgeon because I, do, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to, we're all different views. It's a big operation. And to be honest with you, I would not really want people who are 14 days post-op from my surgery talking to some random geezer on the internet about how to treat a, a problem they've got. So uh, that's exhibit A, but um, generally it, it's it's really um, uh, binder. Have you got some kind of binder or some kind of um, garment? Garment and taking it easy. <coughs> you've got to get the balance because you don't want to get a DVT, so you've got to keep moving. So I don't want to say, oh, bed rest, but just take it easy. Don't overdo it. If you overdo it, if you do too much, then you're going to make your seroma worse. But if you... Um, but you need to do something, keep moving, and uh, sort of some kind of support or compression. As I say, it's not really compression, it's support will help that in my view. But uh, yeah, and well, drain if it's a problem, you know, you can drain it off. But uh, yeah, well done, Stuart. Well done. Good luck with, um, with your recovery. And uh, um, yeah, exciting days. So um, that's straight in with a the question there uh olivia's uh crying i think and velma says hello hi velma um what we got here we've got some questions which i'm going to get into how long in between is in between hyphenated don't think it is is it not sure if in between is hyphenated normally but we know the gist let's not get into let's not get into spellings come on how long in between tattoo excisions do i need to wait um to the point to the point question to the point answer three months min um so minimum is three months between any sort of surgery really just because and it sounds a bit counterintuitive that you say oh, i want to have everything soften and settle before you do another surgery like hey you've got to leave it three months to soften and settle before another does do another surgery that's ridiculous you leave it to soften settle soften and settle before you cut it out and do it again um so just in case this this is talking about a serial excision so that's when you have a big tattoo uh, or a big thing it can be a big mole or a skin graft or something a big area of of skin that needs to be removed you take a you take a chunk of it out stitch it up tight leave it a few months and then it and then it's no longer tight and then you can take another chunk out and uh, the, the really to be honest with you the longer you leave it the better and it can be a false economy to do it too soon so it depends on how it settles so if it's settled really well at three months then that's great so if the scar's no longer red it's soft and supple fantastic but often the scar's still a little bit red at three months often it's a little bit um a little bit firm and so you know, you might have to wait longer, four months or maybe even longer. Uh, the longer you wait, especially if you've got a really big tattoo, the longer you wait, 
the fewer excisions you'll need. So if you need, um, if you if you have got one one that maybe takes five excisions, if you waited longer, you might have done it in four. So you might have done it quicker. I wonder if I can work this out. Do some maths. Do some maths on the hoof. So like you know, three months. You think I want to get it off as quickly as possible. I have it every three months. But if you do three months and have five goes. <coughs> Three months and five goes, that's 15 months. So then if you wait six months and do four goes, no, it's 24 months. <laughs> but if you wait, so three months and five goes, but if you wait four months and um, and got uh, and four goes, that's 16, that's still longer. <laughs> do you get the gist? I mean, have I made my point? I think I made my point. I don't think we need to. I don't think we need to dwell on the actual math. You know, we don't have to do the math. Basically, sometimes if you leave it a bit longer, you can get away with fewer excisions. Even if it, even if it is one month longer, four months and four goes, it's one less operation. Surely that's better, right? Anyway, so three months is min, and um, and you know probably six months is better and a year is better but then it's going to take ages to get your tattoo off so strike a balance examine you see how your scars settling if you're soft and supple then maybe you want to do it sooner <laughs> nick is here hi nick good to see you stuart's yash yash you've been drinking yash have got my compression vest on good on you i had the surgery i'm turkey Okay, I'm Turkey. All went really well. UK doctors don't want to drain it due to COVID restrictions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hmm, okay. I'm not sure how COVID restrictions would affect the drainage of it. Um, I think it's always difficult getting UK doctors to do stuff, though, when you have it in Turkey, unless the UK doctors are linked with a Turkey place. If they're linked with a Turkey place um maybe they don't want to drain it sometimes people don't want to drain seromas because they come back so if it's not too bad you can you can uh you don't have to drain it so you don't necessarily have to drain it if it's not sort of a big one um yeah olivia's laughing not crying at the celebrity comment thank you olivia thank you for that support do you not think i'm a celebrity then no right okay uh it's all up there celebrity out there you wait one day one day um are you back in the UK now? Yes, I am, Olivia. I've always been here. I think you're probably talking to Stuart. Oh, here we go. Stuart and Olivia are talking to each other. Okay. Candy's here. Let's wave. Um, what's, are you back in the UK? Yes, we're supposed to be there for two weeks, but I had to come home early due to airline cancelling flights. Well, that's probably done it, Stuart. You're coming back home early for your... Um, uh, flipping it. What's going on here? Say since thigh lift. Say since thigh lift, I put on a stone due to bereavement and thighs are still swollen eight weeks post-op and I lose the stone when the swelling of goes down am I going to have loose skin maybe Olivia maybe I mean basically you want to avoid uh, the, the reason you need a thigh lift or a tummy tuck or a mastopexy or whatever it is is because the skin's been stretched and if you have swelling obviously that stretches the skin so you need to try and not you know not overdo things and you need to try not to put on weight because that will stretch the skin um and then losing the weight and then when the swelling goes down the skin can there can be some loose skin so uh yeah can be so try and yeah 
it's hard, isn't it? Because you put on weight due to bereavement. I can't tell you not to put on weight, but, um, you know, if you ask me, if you put on weight and lose weight, does it create loose skin? Well, the answer is yes. But if it's not much weight, then maybe not too bad. Kim and family, looking at you. Do the lymphatic massages help with seromas? No, no. Um, lymphatic massage does help with swelling, Kim and family. So um, seroma is a special type of swelling and it's swelling which is like free fluid in the cavity, uh, in the space. And so, um, well, maybe i don't do lymphatic massage maybe you should talk to someone who does lymphatic massage make sure this disclaimer um but really lymphatic massage is good for the for swelling of the tissues it helps the lymphatic drainage from the tissues and it helps with just general swelling so um it can help with swelling in in these sorts of surgeries like abdominoplasty and what have you do get um swelling in the tissues of those in these operations but a seroma is a specific type of swelling which is like fluid sloshing about and seroma uh, lymphatic massage won't really make that fluid go back um but time will make it go back but it might help with the general swelling you've got you know after your your surgery so it might help in a sort of roundabout way uh nick Hi, Dr. Stiano. Had my gastric band removed today. Wow. All went well. So happy. May I ask if you can combine surgeries? Full tummy tuck with lipo and gynecomastia with lipo. Can you do these in one operation? Also, do you operate in London? Will there be a better cost when combining operations? And will you perform the combined operation? Thank you. Oh, um, yes. Yes. May I ask, can you combine surgeries? Yes, you can. Or shall I say surgeries can be combined, Nick? Um, and certainly a full tummy tuck with lipo and gynecomastia with lipo is a is a, a, a reasonable combination. The problem at the moment is that we are limited in the time that it takes for surgery. So it would depend on the extent of the surgery. That would probably be pushing it. I think a full tummy tuck with lipo and gynecomastia with lipo. In fact, I'm, I'm not even going to say probably pushing it. It is pushing it on the time because we have got um, constraints on time due to the COVID. So in normal times, yes, that would be absolutely fine um, as long as you're up for a big operation. But in these times, in these COVID times, I think that would be a no. Uh, so you either would have to stage it, i.e. have one surgery done and then have the other one sometime later or if you really want it done in one op one operation which i can understand because you want to have one recovery etc uh, and as you say there are cost savings when you do it in one operation so the answer to that question is yes there are cost savings if you combine it so if you really want to ha have it in one operation i would suggest you wait and see whether the those restrictions are lifted i don't, I don't know if they will or not but you know that's what i would say can you do the also do you operate in london i don't Nick, at the moment, but to be honest with you, Nick, I am. They, I normally would always tell people to stay close to home, etc. Um, and I work at two hospitals in Birmingham, but these hospitals have been taken over by the NHS, and they are not really showing signs of uh, letting us back at <laughs> the hospitals. So I am exploring all the avenues, Nick, in terms of operating. And, and there are avenues in London to operate. So I might be operating in London. Um, in the, I'm not at the moment, but it's a, it's, an, it's an avenue. It's one we've thought about looking into. I don't know where we are with it. Of um, The team the team are looking into it. So I don't know where we are. We were going to have a look around and see what, um, 
see what's what. But at the moment, no. Um, so at the moment, I'm not operating in London. Uh, will you perform the combined operation? Well, under normal circs, I would, Nick, but not at the moment because of the time limits um, in terms of that. Olivia, bet that was an uncomfy flight. Hmm. Oh, God. Am I going to need a revision then? God, I don't know, Olivia. Hope not. Fingers crossed. Wait at least at least three, probably six months before you even start thinking like that, Olivia. Let's be positive. Wasn't too bad. Extra long room, leg room and assistance in the airport. Nice one. Stuart Marshall did well. well. Out of interest, what is the time limit due to COVID? Four hours, um, Stuart. Uh, four hours operating time is the is the limit for due to COVID um, here anyway. Uh, yeah, I guess yours was probably longer than four hours, was it? Um, with a 360 degree, well, yeah. Nick, thanks for answering all these. I thought I would include it all in one message. Absolutely, Nick, why not? Why not indeed? Um, you're very welcome. Thanks for asking. Um, right. Simple question. Can I drive after local anaesthetic? Um, now this, I know, I know why this is there. Well, um, you know, you know when you get paracetamol and you there's that little bit of paper with all the side effects and all the sort of you know, all the risks and everything. That little bit of paper that no one ever looks at, no one ever reads. They just take care of a couple of paracetamol for their headache. Well, if you look at the that bit of paper for local anaesthetic, it says that you shouldn't drive for 24 hours after local anaesthetic. And because of that, on the instructions that we give out, we follow that advice because that is the advice from the manufacturers of the local anaesthetic that you shouldn't drive within 24 hours of a local anaesthetic. I've got to be honest with you. We're amongst friends here. We're not, <laughs> let's face it, there's not any people. So let's, you know, intimate, it's an intimate group. Um, I've been doing surgery on local anaesthetic for many, many years, like, you know, 20 years, probably more, 30 years, I don't know. Anyway, and I never and I never told people not to drive. I did loads of, you know, when you go to the dentist, you have a local anaesthetic. They don't tell you not to drive, do they? Do they? I don't think they tell me not to drive. Um, so I'm just going to leave that there. I mean, I think people do drive after local anaesthetic, but by the letter of the little booklet that you get with a local anaesthetic, it says do not drive for 24 hours afterwards. So we have to we pass that information on to people that that's what it says. Um, but I've got to be honest, when I was in the NHS, I was doing local anaesthetic lists left, right and centre, and I wasn't telling people not to drive. And when I've had local anaesthetic, you know, with a dentist, I guess is the only time, but they've never told me not to drive. So... And you sort of feel okay, don't you? If you don't feel okay, don't drive. But, you know, if you feel okay, 24 hours, is quite a long time, isn't it? I don't feel any effects from local that would stop me from driving, nor me, Candy, nor me. Um, it's what it says on the it's what it says on the leaflet, so we've got to tell people that. But, yeah, I am, I'm with you on that. I, I, anyway, that's what it says. So... You know what it's like? There's a lot of this about. Do you find this with the COVID? A lot of this people saying, oh, we've got to tell you this because it's on the thing and the government have told us so we've got to do this. And you think, what? Why does it make any sense? Anyway, there you go. There you go. We've got to just tow the thing and we're using tow the party line. Anyway, whatever. Better get out. Let's get out of this because I don't want to 
people and get in trouble by giving bad advice, but that's right. Stuart was in Turkey, was five hours in Turkey, and that's their time limit too, and they're only allowed to do one surgery a day. Okay, good. Nice. What do you think about twilight sedation for breast augmentation? Thank you, Kelly. Well, it's funny you should say that, Kelly, because I have just written a blog post about it today. Yeah, today. And it's called... Um, What's it called again? Twilight, and oh, it's on my phone. Twilight anesthetic for a change or something. Oh, I, I remember being proud of the title. I thought it was a catchy title, but I've forgotten what it is now. Something like Twilight anesthetic. Time times are changing. Oh, I can't remember. Obviously, it wasn't that good, was it? Anyway, um, I'll tell you what. I know what I did. I emailed it to myself. Um, so what do I think about it though? That's the main, that's the, that's the nubbin of the question, isn't it? What do I think about it? Why emailed it to myself? Uh, I think it is good, Kelly. We, we, I'm using the third person again, Olivia, I hope you notice we, the royal we, we have done some uh, cases under local anaesthetic and sedation. Uh, okay, I. I have done some local anaesthetic and sedation cases prior to all this um, because some people didn't want general anaesthetic. So if they didn't want general anaesthetic, we say you can do breast augmentation and other operations, mastopexies, um, uh, mini tummy tucks. I have done a full tummy tuck, but a full tummy tuck's pushing it a bit. Um, but you know, we done we done some. I've done some operations under local insulation, and they've been fine, absolutely fine before this. But when someone comes to the clinic and wants a breast augmentation, the default is to say, "Look, it's a general anaesthetic," because we just that's just what it's always been. Now, with the with the COVID and all this, and the hospitals being used by the private the private hospitals being used by the NHS, we've been limited in the facilities we can do it in. And there are more facilities where you can do local anaesthetic and sedation than there are that you can do GA. So actually. I've been doing quite a lot under, well, let's be, let's be, let's talk real numbers here, quite a lot. Um, probably six or seven, uh, I think, in the last couple of weeks, um, under local anesthetic and sedation. And it's been really good. It's been really good. The, you know, the surgery, the, the patient's pretty, pretty relaxed, pretty good. And the main thing, the main difference is the post-op. The post-op is much better. The recovery is much better. You're you're much less um, uh, sort of drowsy. You feel less sick. You are sort of, you know, fine literally minutes, 10 minutes later, you're absolutely fine. Um, and, and, you know, within an hour, you're, you're out the door. You're gone. You're home. You know, you're on the way home. So it, it is really good. Uh, um, and I've been really impressed with it. So I think, I think that it will probably become the standard, certainly for breast augmentation, and probably for other types of surgery like tummy tucks and breast reductions. Which at the moment I'm still a bit, you know, I'm still thinking, you know, GA really for those. Uh, but I, you know, they can be done under local sedation. Both of those. And I think we're going to be doing more and more. And I think probably even when we go back to the hospitals and can do stuff under GA, we're probably saying, look, do you want local insulation? Because you feel a lot better afterwards and you just walk out the door and you don't feel, you know. And I think I think it will be I think it'll be the way to go. I do, I do. Um, Kim and family. 
do you advise women to stop taking contraceptive pill before surgery or any typed medication before surgery? So nice one, Kim. So uh, let's do oral contraceptive pill first. So the reason, the answer is no, I don't tell people to stop the oral contraceptive pill before having surgery. The reason people do tell you or people to stop having the pill before surgery is because the pill can make increase your risk of clotting. So it can increase your risk of DVT, PE, clots in your legs can fly up into your lungs which is a serious complication so uh, that is why people tell they, you to stop it now if you're going to tell people to stop it they have to stop it six weeks before and they have to put in uh, alternative forms of contraceptive so it is not without its potential um, morbidity if you like so that's the problem with the with medicine in general there's always a balance of risks so there's a balance of risk with telling someone to stop the contraceptive pill you've got the risk of them getting a dvt if they carry on the contraceptive pill versus the risk of an unwanted pregnancy if they if they stop it so it's a balance of risk and for the sort of surgery that i do i use i don't tell them to stop it as a, as a routine i, I, I don't i say carry on but we put measures in place to stop to prevent dvt early mobilization Ted stockings, Floatron boots, heparin, um, uh, you know, and the main thing is, is that is the mobilization. So I use other means and I don't tell people to stop it. But as I say, it's a bit surgeon specific that because I know some surgeons will ask people to stop it. Um, but if they do, then they have to um, counsel patients in terms of uh, alternative forms of contraception. Um, any type of medication before surgery? Um, the Probably the big one is the blood thinning surgery, uh, blood thinning medication. Used to be warfarin, less common nowadays. It's um, more clopidogrel um, or clopidogrel. Clopidogrel, it's easier to say clopidogrel, isn't it? Um, it's the, more these sort of blood thinners rather than the warfarins. And the warfarin, the warfarin took a long time to get out of your system, so you'd stop it a few days before. Um, aspirin's another one, a little bit like clopidogrel. Uh, aspirin will thin your blood. So it's good if you've got a tendency to form clots and you're worried about strokes and things like that, but it's not good if you're having surgery. So again, I, to be honest with you, I don't tell people to stop that either. I even, you know, it's usually for cutaneous surgery, you know, skin lesions, skin cancers, because it's usually in older people. So I don't tell people to stop that. Um, what would I tell them to stop? The ones, the th sort of things we worry about, the blood thinners and the steroids, because steroids are going to increase your risk of uh, wound healing problems. But again, I don't, I don't tell people to stop it. I, I, so I don't think about it. I don't tell them to stop anything. Don't think no so i'm okay with the uh, aspirin i'm okay with um, non-steroidals like ibuprofen and things all these will thin your blood um i'm okay with well warfarin i would if someone was on warfarin but as i say not many people on warfarin these days um and you do that with their hematologist i'm on zomorph is this okay so zomorph is that some kind of morphine yeah that's fine yeah, it's fine. The only thing that I'd think about was, are you going to, if you're on, if it is some kind of morphine, I'm assuming it is because it's got morph in the title, um, you'd be thinking about analgesia post-op because if you're used to that, then maybe we would might struggle with analgesia post-op if you regularly take morphine anyway, you know, for, for other conditions. But yeah, it's fine to carry on taking it. I mean, obviously up until the time of the surgery, you know, there's a starving time, but <clears throat> you don't have to stop it before. That is fine. Uh, Nick, would it be worth waiting a full year after gastric band removal to have a full tummy tuck gynecomastia? I'll be honest with you, Nick, the longer you wait, the better, because the main thing after gastric band removal and the main thing with any weight loss 
patient, whether they've had a gastric band or not had a gastric band, uh, whether they've had bariatric surgery or not, is being stable with the weight. Because the worry with uh, following weight loss is rebound, is the weight coming up and down. And if the weight goes up and down, if you have a tummy tuck, or if you had some kind of surgery or gynecomastia or whatever it is, and your weight goes up and down, the skin will stretch again. So that's no good. And that is the worry with weight loss. So you really ideally, well, the, the sort of minimum really is six months. I think sometimes in the NHS, they say two years, they want two years stable uh, BMI, um, quite a long time, two years. But uh, basically, the longer you wait, the better. So I think a year is a reasonable time. And you've got to be true to yourself when you are stable and comfortable with your weight, because you don't really want to be doing surgery when your weight's um, going up and down. You really want to be stable with that. So yes, a year would be um, reasonable and might be better with COVID in a year too. Indeed, it might. It might be better with COVID in a year. Yes. Please, will it be better? I hope it will. I mean, they said it'd be better after three months and now we're six months in are we and still a bit all over the shop anyway let's be positive kelly i have capsular contraction could i have replacements under twilight sedation yes you could kelly i mean this is a bigger operation this is a capsulectomy now we're into the realms of capsulectomy but yeah i'll tell you what kelly it's amazing local and sedation and yes you could have a capsulectomy and a replacement under twilight sedation um yes you could Kaziamia. Kaziamia. Kazia, Kaza, that's like my house, isn't it? Kazamia, Kazamia. This is C, though, isn't it? Kazamia, good evening. Hashtag ask JJ. She's using the hashtag. Kazia is using the hashtag. Huh? That is when you know you made it. When the hashtag starts getting, this is what we want. More of this, people. Are you seeing this, everyone? Instagram, Kazia is using the hashtag ask jj this could this could be big all right you saw it here first hashtag ask jj yeah constant constant promotion of the hashtag ask jj and that's what happens the people start to embrace it love it kazia thank you for that thank you can we put that in the minutes 20th of october 2020 Someone who is not me used the hashtag AskJJ. A member of the public of their own accord used the hashtag AskJJ. That is attraction we need. You wait. You wait. It's going to be common parlance. You're going to be in the supermarket. You're going to say to someone, flipping egg, what do you think about these implants? Do you think they're too big for my frame? And they'll say to you, hashtag AskJJ. That's love it. Love it. I, I can't like anything, Kazia, on this. I wanna I wanna if I could like that, I would like I would like everything, but I would double like that. Right, anyway, what's the question? Um, what are pros and cons of different implants for BA? Oh my lord alive, Kazia. Oh my god. Where do I start? Um right. Okay, Kazia, so two big areas i'm gonna i'm gonna say one is the shape of the implant shape means teardrop around there's two shapes at the moment teardrop around and also the profile high low media extra high sorry i said them in the wrong order low medium or moderate high and extra high they get progressively sticky outy 
so they the, the shapes are different and you've got to think of and the so the shape's really important so um the shape will depend on um what look you're after and also what breast tissue you've got the shape of your breasts that you've got because you've got to add the shape of your breast to the shape of the implant so there's shape and profile which is one but maybe i'm thinking your different types of implants question is more about the sort of makes so the different manufacturers of implant now they've all well in terms of the contents of the implant you can have silicone gel or saline they're pretty much all silicone gel uh, these days um we we that america i think still use saline implants a bit but in the uk we don't really use saline implants so they're pretty much all silicone gel they've all got the same gel inside them so they're all the same inside although some are more cohesive than others some are a bit firmer than others but broadly speaking they're they're pretty similar in terms of their content and the difference becomes in the coating. So the main difference between the, the different implants is the coating. And um, so you can have a smooth silicone implant, which is sort of a glassy smooth thing. You can have a rough silicone implant, which is called textured silicone implant, or you can have a polyurethane foam implant, which is a silicone implant, which is coated in a foam covering um, and broadly speaking, the rougher they are, so the polyurethane ones are very rough, um, the smooth ones are very smooth, and the textured ones somewhere in between. The rougher they are, the less risk of capsule contracture, the rest, less risk of them going hard. But the rougher they are, the more risk of ALCL, which is a type of cancer associated with implants. Very rare cancer, treatable cancer, but nevertheless a cancer. So the there is there is i'm guessing simplified there is the, the 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 spectrum you have a rough one very rough one which is less likely to go hard a very smooth one which is more likely to go hard but the very rough one is more likely to get the alcl whereas a smooth one is not and then you've got the textured one in between and you've also got another one now which is called nano textured or micro textured which is a bit not quite as rough as the rough one and not quite as smooth as a smooth one um, which is sort of somewhere in between so it's a tricky one Kazia I, I, there's no easy answer to it I hope, I hope that's I don't know if that's helpful but that's the you know broadly speaking I normally say there's three types I guess there's four so you've got polyurethane foam smooth silicone and then in between you've got textured silicone with it which is micro and macro textured and it's a spectrum of more likely to go hard versus more likely to get the ALCL. Needs a proper chat, Kazia. Needs a proper chat. But that's sort of a ballpark of where we are on that. I hope that's done it justice. And I wanted to do that justice, Kazia, because you're using the Ask JJ hashtag. Um, so well done, you. Nick is in the house. This is a very good set. Oh, blimey. This is a very... <laughs> taking aback. This is a very right Instagram. You're listening. This is a very good session. Thank you for doing. It looks lit. Oh, blimey! Can we? Can we? Can I? Can I pin this comment? This is a very good set. I'm, I'm getting emotional. This is a very good session. Thank you for doing this. Other surgeons must follow your example. Yes, really makes me feel more comfortable about the process. And I will be keen to book a consultation in the future. Fingers crossed about operating in London. Wow. Oh, wow. Well, thank you, Nick. That's kind of you, Nick. Very kind. Thank you. Kind of you to say. It's a pleasure, Nick. Pleasure. <laughs> pleasure. I had nothing else to do. So I thought, you know, 
Um, right. I just want to leave that up for a bit. Oh, Kim's got a question. Claire's got a question. It's all kicking off. Right. Um, uh, I'm pretty sure, Claire, I'm pretty sure going by the shape of one of my implants has ruptured. They are 11 years old. Is it dangerous to wait a year to get them fixed? Um, tricky one. Tricky, 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 tricky. Um, is it dangerous? Right. Well, Claire, there's two types of rupture, Claire. There's intracapsular and extracapsular rupture. Intracapsular rupture, so there's an implant forms a capsule around it, forms scar tissue around it. All implants do. All implants have got a capsule. Um, and they, you can get a, a rupture within the capsule. So they tend to take, take, keep their shape. Often a silent rupture in terms of you didn't even know it happened and you get a scan and they say it's ruptured. You're like, what is it? Look, looks all right. Um, an extra capsule rupture is usually when the capsule ruptures as well as the implant. And it's usually a little bit more trauma. And it might be, so yours is saying they're going out of shape. Maybe that's more in keeping with an extra capsule rupture because then you'll have silicone in the breast. Now, assuming they're not the PIP implants, I don't know if you remember way back when they had the PIP ones, um, which were not medical grade silicone. So assuming they're not, assuming there are um, you know, one of the other makes of silicone implants, which are medical grade silicone, then it isn't usually um, sort of toxic to the breast. The PIP ones, we were encouraging people to change because we didn't really sure what, we weren't really sure what effect it would have on the breast. Um, medical grade silicone tends not to have an effect on the breast, although it can, you can get what's called silicone granulomas if it does get into the breast tissue, if it's an extra capsular rupture. Um, you can also get lymph nodes and silicone in the lymph nodes. To be honest with you, you can get silicone in the lymph nodes even without uh, a rupture, but still. Um, so it's a tricky one, Claire, Suzanne. And I, uh, it's a good question, you know. It's a good question. Um, and I, I'm not sure how to answer it, Claire. I think you need to talk to your surgeon. And I think if the shape has changed and it's an extra capsule rupture, I mean, I'm assuming you haven't even had a scan, which is fine if you haven't had a scan, because I don't normally say to people have scans, because if you can have it changed, then you don't need a scan. But maybe if you're not going to have it changed, is it worth maybe getting a scan to have a look if there's any extra, you know, any um, silicone within the breast tissue? Um, so it's, why do you want to wait a year? That's the thing. Um, so um, you see, tricky, tricky, tricky. Oh, Claire. Oh, I think they are PIP. Okay, if they are PIP, I think you should have them changed, Claire. Um, that silicone was more toxic to the breast, more likely to cause lymphadenopathy. I wouldn't leave silicone. I wouldn't leave PIP in in a ruptured PIP in. Yeah, I think you should, Claire. But talk to your surgeon. All right. Look, Megan, you've asked to join me on Instagram. People do this all the time. I don't think you mean it, do you? I mean, you're welcome to if you want. It will come as a split screen and then you'll be on, on the thing. So I don't know if you want me to say, I don't know if that was a misclick or you want to join me. I mean, it's a new, it's bringing a new dimension to the chat if you do. And then we can have a split screen chat and you can talk to me live. I have no idea. Okay, so it was a misclick, right? <laughs> No, I don't. Right. Okay. I'll, I'll just ignore it, Megan. I mean, if people do, I mean, I guess we could do that, but I don't know. It might be, I don't know. Kim and family, is there a limit on size implants a patient can have? I watched the program and a lady had breast implants bigger than her head. Kim and family, good question. Did you hear that one over there, Facebook? Um, yes, there is a limit, Kim. 
and it is limited by the, the the dimensions of your frame and the dimensions of your of your chest and sometimes you get people who want these big implants and sometimes you get these surgeons who put these big implants in and i normally say to people when people come and ask us or ask me about big implants it's not really my thing putting in and people do put in big implants people people do put in implants that are out with the dimensions of the chest but i don't and so if you ask me is there a limit i would say yes it's limited by the width of your breast. You don't want to go wider than the breast. You run into trouble. You run into synmastia, a web between your breast, uniboob. You run into lateral fullness. Your arm hits it, you know. So I don't, I don't, I respect the boundaries of the breast. So yes, there's a limit in my world, but goodness me, Kim and family, you see, see stuff out there. I don't know who's doing it, but, you know, people are doing stuff, aren't they? But uh, yeah, it's... Um, it's uh, yeah, Megan. All right, definitely not. All right, you don't have to be all right. Just say not that bad coming on. A, hmm. Right, what's going on here? I'm pretty sure Nick has the asked JJ. I, you know what? This is going to be the one the defining Q and A with the Ask JJ hashtag. I bet no one's ever going to use it again. But anyway, thank you, Nick, for using the Ask JJ hashtag. And Kazia, let's not forget Kazia was the original. Hashtag ask JJ. Thank you. I was thinking Polytech reading the review. I think you prefer these two. I do like Polytech, Casia. Um, so Polytech are the well. Polytech make all all Polytech make smooth and nano textured and macro textured and polyurethane. But if you want polyurethane, then you have to have Polytech. There's only one make that makes it easier as well. You don't have to choose. Whereas if you want a silicone implant, there's quite a few makes. But um, I do like them, Casia. But I do try and give a balanced. Uh, um, um, a balanced opinion about the different the pros and cons of all of them so that you can make your own judgment thank you i'll make an appointment with you yes claire i think you do need to maybe have that looked at jackie is i think laughing i think we'll all get jealous why are you getting jealous why are you getting jealous right right then what's going on i'll tell you what's going on uh would my breasts still feel the same with implants in um yeah yeah i'm gonna say yeah similar similar i mean they do feel like i'm looking for my implants i've got some um i think my wife's cleared up i don't know where my implants are they're over there somewhere um but basically when when you put implants in you either put them in behind the muscle or behind the breast but either way they're behind the breast as in you know the, so when you feel certainly when you feel around your nipple you're feeling your breast tissue so there's no breast tissue behind the implant so i know i'm asking a slightly different question here because sometimes people worry that it's going to hide a breast cancer it's not if you have a lump in your breast or anything like that your breast is the first thing you feel your implant is behind the breast as i say it might be behind the muscle but so there might be muscle and breast. So there's either just breast or muscle and breast. So um, you, you're feeling your breast. You can feel the breast. And you you that is obviously feels as it did before, because it is the same as what it is before. They make the implants to make them feel a consistency of a breast. So they make them soft. That's that cohesive gel that they have in. Now, they, as I say, there are different cohesivities and some are a little bit firmer than others. And the, the newer implants that we use these days are a little bit more cohesive than the older implants. The older implants are softer, so they did feel perhaps, you know, nicer. But 
the less cohesive the gel, the more risk of rippling um, and the uh, more risk of leaking silicone in the case of rupture. So if the, 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 the newer implants are a slightly firmer gel, um, which is safer in terms of uh, if there is a rupture, if the shell fails, it doesn't leak liquid silicone because the, the gel is quite firm and it also has less risk of rippling. Um, sometimes, particularly with the polyurethane ones, you can feel the edges because the scar tissue grows into them and they do feel a bit firm. And it's usually up here around the edges. That's where you're going to feel the implant under here where you put, you know, where you make the incision or up here. Sometimes you can feel a bit of edge of implant. But here, around where the nipple is, is, is breast, and that will feel the same. So you might be able to feel a bit of implant, but the actual breast itself will feel the same. That's, uh... Now, I saw this question. And <laughs> this, I'm not sure. I don't know. On the off chance, if the person who asked this question is out there, can you just clarify? Um, now, for the sake of Instagram, the question says, do you cut through the tear ducts? Now, I'm assuming that's going to be tear ducts. Um, do you cut through the tear? Now, the tear ducts here, the tear ducts in your eye. Oh, it. See a little hole? Little hole there. That's your tear duct, and it drains into your nose. Do you cut through the tear ducts? I'm trying to think what this question is. I mean, could it be like milk ducts? Could it be nipple? Do you cut through the milk ducts? I mean, you do when you do an inverted nipple correction. Can I answer a different question? So when you do an inverted nipple correction, the best way to do it is to cut through the milk ducts. When you do an areola reduction, if the areola is big, you make it smaller, you don't cut through the milk ducts. When you do a uh, breast augmentation, certainly when you're using an inframammary incision, you don't cut through the milk ducts. So you should still be able to breastfeed if you're having a breast augmentation or an areola reduction. If you're having an inverted nipple correction, you might, well, you won't be able to breastfeed. If you're having a surgery like a, a breast lift or a breast reduction, you cut through some milk ducts. So you might not be able to breastfeed. Um, but that's, yeah, tear ducts. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure what, what, what the tear. I mean, I'm, as I say, tear ducts. So tear ducts are usually cut uh, through trauma. So if you have trauma, facial laceration in this area, you worry that the tear duct will be potentially damaged, and you have to put a little cannula in, in it, and then try and repair it. It's an absolute nightmare. Um, many a many an hour in the operating theatre trying to repair the tear ducts, um, and it's very difficult. And you put a little stent in, and. Um, but I don't, I don't think this is a tear ducts question, to be fair. Um, should, we, should we move on? Can, can we move on? Is a per, have we got the person out there who's asked the tear ducts question? Um, perhaps we can bring it back next week if, 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 if I haven't answered the tear ducts question properly. Perhaps you can, we can revisit it next, year, next week with a bit more, um, a bit more explanation on the, what the tear ducts are. Uh, Olivia, after BA with lift, do the nipples still work the same way? Not meaning breastfeeding. Let's just say crinkly. Yes. Um, so with the BA with lift, so it's the lift bit that would make them not work the same. So as I say, the, so the BA fine doesn't do anything to the uh, to the sensitivity or the or the uh, reactivity of the nipples. Um, 
but the lift bit might do something to the reactivity and the sensitivity of the nipples because the lift bit is moving the nipple. Now, a lift is less likely to damage the sort of nerve supply of the nipple than a reduction because a reduction you're actually taking tissue around so a lift is less likely to damage it than a reduction so you're more likely to have normal sensitivity and more normal workings if you like after a lift but it cannot be guaranteed because as i say the nipple is being moved um, so there might be some of uh, abnormality and sensitivity both in terms of the uh, touch like it might feel a bit numb or it might be a little bit overly sensitive and both in terms of the reactivity of the nipple that might be affected now it's often affected short term and it often comes back long term by long term i mean seven nine twelve months um but it might not so i think it will be hard to guarantee that that would be fine after a lift um there might be some some uh, effect to it um Maybe they're thinking about lower eye bag removal with tear ducts. Yes, maybe they are. So low, lower eye bag removal, you're, you're in this area here. So you're away, you're lateral to the tear duct. The tear duct is, is right up here. So you're, yeah, it's, it's fine. What was the question again? Something about tear, do the tear ducts get cut? So no, the tear ducts don't get cut with a lower eye bag removal. Thanks, Olivia. Yeah, I should have thought of that. Yeah, no, they don't. You're, you, you're, you're away from them. You, you know where the tear ducts are and you stay away from them. Yeah, that would have been a bit more slick if I just said that from the back. Anyhow. Now, guys, last question, full disclosure. Okay, so get your questions in here. And I'm not going to say anything, guys, but they ask JJ hashtag. We're letting it a bit slide a bit, okay? Nick, I mean, Kasia ran with a torch. Nick picked up the torch and used it. You know, I'm not seeing... Can we just have a bit more engagement with the Ask JJ hashtag, please? Um, should I want kids further down the line? Would I be able to breastfeed after breast augmentation slash breast lift? Well, it's to say, I mean, this is all, yeah, I should have just, oh, God, I should have gone straight to this one, shouldn't I? Um, because it's a similar sort of thing, basically. So breast augmentation, if it depends, it depends a bit on the incision. So I pretty much always use an inframammary incision, which is in the fold down here. And then I lift the breast forward, put the implant in behind, and I'm not cutting through any breast tissue. Now there is uh, an infra areola incision where they make a U-shaped cut uh, on the bottom half of the areola to put the implant in, and you go through the breast um, to, to put the implant in. Now there might be some interruption of milk ducts. So there might be, it could possibly be some um, 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 uh, um, what's the word? Some problem with being <laughs> some problem with being at a breastfeed um, with with an infra areola approach because you are cutting through some some nerves around the nipple. Um, the people the reason people like the infra areola approach is because they don't like scars on the skin and it does settle really well. Um, but I worry about the, um, I don't like cutting through the breast tissue to put the implant in. And I don't like the fact that you might interrupt the nerve supply um, and the potentially with the ducts to the nipple. So, um, so but, but, but broadly speaking, breast augmentation, you're going to be fine. Assuming you can breastfeed now. I always say that. Assuming you can breastfeed now because some people can't breastfeed for whatever reason. Breast lift, different. So breast lift, you might be, it might affect your ability to breastfeed because 
because you are rearranging the breast tissue a bit and so there might be some interruption of the milk ducts there. Whenever people ask me that question, I always think, hold on a minute, if you're thinking of having children down the line, I wouldn't have breast implants, never mind the breastfeeding. Well, maybe the breastfeeding might be important to you, but also it's going to mess up the shape of your breast by having children. So actually the advice is finish your family before having implants or a lift or any sort of breast reshaping because children can affect it. Um, and also, as I say, you might, it might affect your ability to breastfeed. Um, right, that's more like it. Thank you, Olivia. Hashtag ask JJ. Thank you. Um, so I know I've asked this before. Sorry, BA with lift is a short enough operation for local and COVID restrictions. Uh, B yes, yeah, that is true, uh, Olivia. BA with lift is a short enough operation for local and COVID restrictions. Yes, it is. BA with lift gets in. Kasia asked JJ, Kasia, the original. Um, this will be forever now. Is Twilight safe with cardiomyopathy? Postpartum dilated. Thank you. Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know, Kasia. I'd have to speak to the... So when you do local insulation, you, which is Twilight, when you do Twilight, it's with an anaesthetist. So I would have to uh, speak to the anaesthetist to see. The main thing with cardiomyopathy or the main thing with, with things with you know heart problems, the main question that I would ask, and I think the anaesthetist will want to know, is how are you? You know, is it affecting you in your daily life? If it's not affecting your daily life, then... Um, then I think we are less worried, but if it is affecting you, if your exercise tolerance is affected, as in if you struggle to go upstairs and get breathless easily, then we'd be thinking, hold on a minute, um, is everything okay? And we would, and certainly if you are affected and if you are having active treatment, we would talk to your cardiologist um, about what whether we need to do anything special in terms of the treatment, uh, in terms of the anesthetic and in terms of the surgery prior to surgery. Um, but I don't know if if uh, if twilight is sort of less stress to the heart or more stress to the heart. I don't know, um, Kasia, because we'd be using we use um, uh, local anaesthetic with adrenaline in. So would that would that be bad? Sorry, Kasia, it's it's more of a um, that's an anaesthetic. We'd have to talk to anaesthetist. If you want to know, if you're interested, Kasia, message me, call me, and we can talk to the anaesthetist if you're interested. Um, and uh, we can message you back and say, look, anesthetist. Oh, but again, that would just be our anesthetist if, if you're having it, you know, you need to talk to your local one. Um, but yeah, in general terms, if you've got cardiomyopathy, I'll be thinking how how much does it affect your daily life? And if it doesn't affect your daily life at all, then I'll be thinking fine. And if it does, I'll be thinking, OK, well, we need to have a discussion, perhaps with your cardiologist. Is where I am on that. So, hashtag Ask JJ. <laughs> Kasia's doing it every time. You don't have to do it every time, Kasia. I, I am grateful for you, but thank you, thank you. Um, but I wish, I wish there were more people like you, Kasia. This is what we need. We need people to, you know, get it, get it trending, right? We need to get it trending. Um, it's about fluid shift that I can't have too much of. I'm okay in general. Yeah, well, that uh, something like a breast augmentation would be fine, Kasia. Um, obviously, we've got to be balance into in the bigger surgeries in terms of liposuction and surgery there might be fluid balance issues but there's not usually fluid balance issues with a uh, a breast augmentation um but yeah that's that's yeah important i guess your heart can't uh, can't cope with um 
with too much fluid. So maybe that's yeah something to be aware. It's certainly something to be aware of, Casia, and something we would discuss with the anaesthetist and make sure they're comfortable um, um, before having surgery. Um, is removing so Megan's got something there. Um, is removing breast PIP implants complicated? Not really, um, Claire. No. I mean, the fact that they're PIPs doesn't make a difference in terms of removing them. They're the same as any other implant. The fact that they're uh, ruptured or potentially ruptured makes it a little bit more difficult. But, you know, we do that sort of stuff all the time, Claire. It's bread and butter removing um, implants. So, no, it's not really. It's fine as long as you know, you know, as long as you're all right removing implants in general. The PIP is no different. Megan, right. What's the risk of new stretch marks developing from a tummy tuck? Um, I know I have had it with breast augmentation, Megan. I, two patients I can think of who've had breast augmentation because uh, people worry about that with breast augmentation because you're sort of stretching the skin. But I've never really had it with a tummy tuck. Um, more stretch marks developing because you sort of I get your point. You sort of stretching your skin tight. I mean, if anything, a tummy tuck will remove stretch marks. It removes all the skin from the belly button down to your pubic area. And if you have stretch marks above, then they get pulled down. But it. I don't, I don't normally warn people there's a risk of making more. Like if you didn't have stretch marks there, it doesn't cause stretch marks there. Um, it is tight to start off with, but it gives in a few in a few days, maybe in a couple of, oh God, what have I done? In a couple of weeks. After tummy tuck, do you give antibiotics as a precaution or is it only if you get an infection? Uh, good question, Kim. My policy in antibiotics is um, similar to my policy with most things. It's quite sort of standard across the board. And that is one dose of IV on or antibiotics. I was going to say augmentin. Depends on whether you, if you're, if you're not allergic to penicillin, it's usually augmentin. But um, let's just say antibiotics. Let's not get too technical. Um, one dose of, uh, of IV antibiotics uh, on induction. I just give one dose of antibiotics when you're induced into the, when you're, you know, having your anesthetic. And then it's in your system while the procedure's going on. And that's it. That's for tummy tuck, breast augmentation, breast reduction, well, any anything basically. Um, and I don't normally give post-op. I don't give a five. Some, I know sometimes people give a five-day course. Um, I don't. I just give one dose. Um, and um, yeah, and obviously if you get an infection, then we treat it. So that's what's known as a prophylactic dose of antibiotics. So it's not treating the infection. It's something moving to, to prevent infection. But if you get an infection, obviously you need them. But um, got to be a bit careful with antibiotics. You don't want to use them too much. So you've got to get the balance. And uh, that's where my balance sits. I just give one dose um, on induction. Uh, but, but people are different. And uh, no right or wrong, you know. Kim, I'm diabetic. I'm really worried about healing. Well, Kim, then you've got higher risk of um, of uh, infection and healing. You you are you are sort of I don't want to be negative, but you're sort of right to be worried because diabetes does increase your risk. So what we would say is, is your diabetes well controlled? Number one. So if it's not well controlled, if there's anything we can do to control it better, then we need to do that before having surgery. So we need to optimize you for surgery. Um, probably, if your diabetes is bad, we need to talk to your um, um, the, the doctor who's looking after your diabetes to see if there's anything that needs to be done. We need to look at your insulin. We need to look at, well, are you are you on insulin, number one? Um, if you are on insulin, we need to look at your insulin and we need to look at controlling that throughout the surgery. We need to um, look at um, 
putting you early on the list because we don't want you to be starved for too long but yeah it is a worry i mean you have got an increased risk of of, um, of wound healing problems and what i would say is that you have got an increased risk we need to maximize or optimize your condition once we've optimized your condition so you're the best you can be and diabetes is well controlled and you're you're as good as you can be then we've got to say well look yes you have got higher risk of, of infection compared to a person without diabetes and that's just got to go into your um, decision making process as to whether you have surgery or not you might say look i don't fancy it i'm like okay well that's fine don't have the surgery you might say well i'll you know i want the surgery even though i've got a higher risk well then that's fine. Let's hope it's all all right. Um, Dr. Katie K, may I ask, is it absolutely necessary to wear a sports bra for six weeks after BA? No, Katie K, no, not absolutely necessary. Well, well, I would always go with whatever your surgeon says. So it's best to, because surgeons are a funny bunch and they, some will have a strong view and say, you've got to do this or it's going to be a disaster or you've got to do that. I haven't got a strong view. And, um, I think, I mean, I normally go four weeks, you know, six weeks if it's a teardrop, but you know, whatever. Um, but it, I think it does help with the swelling and I think it is comfortable. But if it's not comfortable or if you're going out for a night out and you don't want to have those big straps and stuff, um, or if you want to take it off for a while, you know, it's it's fine. It's not sort of written in stone. It's not going to be terrible if you if you don't wear the sports bra or the post-op bra. Um, you're, you're, you're at liberty to take it off for periods of time, but I do think it helps with the swelling and I do think it is supportive. But as I say, it's not like, um, it's not absolutely necessary in my practice, but as I say, if, if, uh, you better stick with your surgeon on that one, you're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks for asking the question. Um, so that's it next week see you here oh. oh instagram's gone actually next week am i going to be here next week I... yeah of course i am yeah, of course i am next week yeah see you here um seven o'clock facebook live instagram live i will see you here get your questions get your hashtag ask jj sorted out kazia and nick have played the game you know um everybody else hashtag could do better to be quite frank with you there's been a lot of comments and not an awful lot of hashtag ask jj's so you know can we just please just try and tighten up on that and uh, i will see you good night olivia i will see you uh same time same place fest no jackie not hashtag jj hashtag ask jj oh god look 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 what Kazia does. Hashtag ask JJ, right? Oh, Jackie, come on. You should know better. Honestly, you're doing that deliberately. You deliberately do hashtag JJ. It's hashtag ask JJ, right? Um, thank you for your answers. Thank you for your questions. Uh, yeah, Jackie, you may well hide. Is that you hiding? I don't know what that is, but yeah. Right. Um, I will see you next time. But for now, I'm going to click this here button, which says stop the stream. I'm stopping the stream. Hashtag ask JJ. That's it. Thank you. We'll finish on that. Stop the stream. Have a question not covered in today's show? Then send it over to info at styanoplasticsurgery.co.uk using the hashtag ask JJ. We'd love to hear from you.